0: one of the first experiences i had with the collegiate was when i walked into wesley hall and it smelled old and it has this like old library kind of scent to it welcome to hallowed halls a podcast about the university of winnipeg collegiate episode two two schools united walking in to wesley (coughs) hall i felt like i was in a castle literally i would never have been
1: where I am today if it, it were not for the University of Winnipeg Collegiate. Never.
2: It changed my life completely. I, I was so grateful and remain so grateful that it gave me that grounding and that start. And
1: I've certainly left part of my heart at, at, in Wesley Hall.
0: The Collegiate needs to be what the world is but just within the walls of Wesley Hall. That's what the Collegiate needs to be. The Collegiate does reflect the city and the society that it's in and i'm sure that's always been the case
1: united college located in downtown winnipeg is one of the largest liberal arts colleges in canada now comprising seven buildings it traces its history back to the 1870s and the Presbyterian Church's Manitoba College and the Wesley College established by the Methodist Church. In 1938, these two colleges joined to form United College.
2: Today,
0: In 1938, the editorial of Vox Wesleyana, the yearbook for Manitoba and Wesley Colleges, started with the following. This issue of Vox has within its covers many kinds of farewells. By the time it reaches the last subscriber, Wesley College and Manitoba College will have ceased to exist. On the first episode of this podcast, we learned about the formation of Wesley College and the life of J.S. Woodsworth, one of the school's most notable graduates. On this episode, we're skipping ahead a few decades to the creation of United College out of Wesley College and Manitoba College. The union of these two schools in 1938 goes back to the formation of the United Church more than a decade earlier. Remember, Manitoba College was affiliated with the Presbyterian Church, and Wesley College with the Methodist Church. And the United Church was inaugurated in 1925 after the union of the Presbyterian, Methodist, and Congressionalist denominations. During the 50 years of Wesley College's existence, it graduated hundreds of students, with students in the collegiate program being part of the school since the very beginning. In that same 1938 issue of Vox Wesleyana, the school's registrar published a report of the number of students attending the school's different faculties over the decades. In Wesley College's 1888 to 1889 school year, only five students were registered in the collegiate program. But by the 1937 to 38 school year, the year before United College was formed, that number was 203. But what was it like to be one of those hundreds of collegiate students in the newly formed United College?
1: There certainly was a school spirit My name is Richard Scott. I grew up in St. Vital. I attended what we now call University of Winnipeg in those days United College, uh, Collegiate Grade 11 in 1954-1955. I got a superb education, thanks in the main to the quality of the teaching staff. Graduated, uh, became a lawyer, became a judge, was on the bench for 28 years, retired in 2013, and I'm now still puttering away in the the corners of the law at the ripe old age of 82 and hoping I survive COVID-19.
0: In many ways, Richard Scott is representative of many United College collegiate students. He switched to the collegiate because he was unhappy with the quality of education he was receiving at his high school in St. Vital.
1: Most of us were there for the same reason, which was that uh, the school's reputation um, and, uh, you know, everybody got along reasonably well. I can't remember any serious incidents between the students. There were a fair number of mature students and people were there to I know it sounds a little corny in this day and age, but we were there to learn. And I think pretty well everybody had university ambitions.
0: Although the Vox Wesleyana yearbook continued to be published into the mid-20th century, the collegiate students had begun their own publication, which they called Trick Ticks, in the 1920s. And the 1960 edition of Trick Ticks, from just a few years after Richard Scott graduated, gives a sense of the collegiate student body at that time. Reading through the student bios, you get a sense that everyone seemed to balance their high ambitions with good humor, with references to academics interspersed with inside jokes and good-natured teasing about class crushes. But what's noteworthy is that students seem to have come to the collegiate from all over the place, from northern Manitoba towns such as Flin Flon and the Paw, to other major Canadian cities such as Toronto and Vancouver, to international students from Great Britain, Germany, and India.
1: I wasn't used to that cosmopolitan atmosphere at all. And that was one of the things that I really turned out appreciating about that of W because I got to meet quite a few people from different backgrounds and different societies and and different countries. Most people kind of hung out at the bay. Um, We used to spend a lot of our lunch times down in the bay basement because they had the greatest hot dogs in town <laughs> at a very inexpensive price. And there was Eaton's and there was Burke's and a bunch of uh, movie theaters. There was Picardy's across from the bay. There was a, a movie theater right next door to that. But none of the skyscrapers were, were there at all. Um, and it was, you know, very, very different than, than it is today, for sure.
0: At the back of the 1960 edition of Trick Ticks, It's a page dedicated to the Eaton's Junior Executives. It was a program by the Eaton's department store that employed a boy and a girl from each high school to work at their store on Saturdays. And as it happens, Richard Scott was one of the collegiate's two junior executives in his year.
1: The idea was that they expected the the schools to nominate people who might have a business-slash-retail career in mind, and for my part... In those days, I thought I was on my way to business administration, hopefully at University of Western Ontario. Um, But then I met my now wife of 60 years, a year or two later, and that was the end of the University of Western Ontario. But in those days, I I had a business career in mind, and I I guess that was one of the factors that caused the school to, uh, to choose me.
0: Although he was initially interested in going into business, he began to be interested in history while in junior high. But it wasn't until the collegiate that he began considering law as a future career option.
1: The more I got into Canadian history, the more I realized that there was this thing called the legal system and there was a Privy Council over in England that was the final decider in, in, in important legal cases. And that kind of interested me. And then I came to uh, University of Winnipeg and Dean Halstead taught history. And he's beyond uh, one of the very best teachers that I had. And he just really ignited my interest in the legal side of Canadian history, constitutional law, we now call it. You know, I was more sort of inclined 50-50 by the time I got out of of high school and into the university. And uh, then things changed once I got to the university. But it was really Dean Halstead who, who really... Got me interested and I, and I learned a lot, and he gave me a, a, a extra books to read because there was no internet, no taste. Certainly, he and some of his colleagues were my first encounter in, in what I would call the, the teacher that brings out the best in his students. You know, before that, and for the most part, with some notable exceptions, it had been talking heads with him he, he got you engaged he challenged you you know what do you what do you think john a mcdonald's reaction might have been to such and such you know he got the class involved in the process he wasn't just standing up at the, at, at the podium dictating and you know for me and i think the group i hung around with at the time everybody looked forward to his classes because you'll learn something by being engaged in the process. The other prof that really sticks in my mind was Miss Mills, and she taught math, and she shamed the class. (laughs) Just a little itty bitty thing. And she shamed the class into doing our homework and challenged us, well now, Mr. Scott, you got that wrong. And let me give you the opportunity to to figure out for yourself why you got it wrong. And more times than not, you figure it out. You know, and so instead of being sort of shamed in front of the class, hey, you know, you got it right. Or she'd give you a little hint. Math was not then or now, you know, a strong point for me. But
2: I actually look forward to her classes. Everybody did. Math, Miss Mills, she was a, a little... 85 pound terror. Boy, if you didn't have your work done, she would just stand there all 85. And I'm not kidding, she's about five foot nothing and about 85 pounds. My mother had her as a teacher in the 1930s and here I was in the 1960s.
0: This is Jim McDonald. He graduated from the collegiate in 1964. He's also the vice president and director of RBC Wealth Management in Manitoba. And he's donated millions of dollars in recent years to set up bursaries for students who wish to attend the Collegiate. It's his way of showing how much the school means to him.
2: Because it changed my life completely. You know, it, it, it allowed me to achieve what, what I thought was unachievable.
0: Although he's had a very successful career, Jim McDonald wasn't a straight-A student. In fact, that's part of the reason he ended up at the Collegiate. I
2: had an epiphany one day studying, and studying isn't the right word, literally cracking my books open in grade 11, uh, where I went to Silver Age Collegiate, and I'd already failed grade nine. And because I failed grade nine French the second time around, I was in what was called then the high school leaving course. Because if you didn't have French, you couldn't, you could not continue on to university in Manitoba. At that point, uh, that didn't bother me. I I had no aspirations or even thoughts of of that. Uh, And I thought to myself, I I wonder who will be in my room next year. Then I realized, oh, there won't be a next year because you leave high school in grade 11. And so I thought, all right, uh, well, I guess I'll have to get a job. Well, I wonder what kind of job I'll get and what can I do? And that's when all of a sudden, started to hit me is, my God, I can't do anything. I have no education, no work experience. Uh, and I probably thought about it for a half an hour or so. And then my, I heard my mother say, Jim, lunch. As I walked into the, the kitchen, she looked at me. She said, what's wrong? So I guess I had a prison pallor face uh, because I really was going through a, a, a shock effect and uh and i said i i told her that what i just realized the predicament i was in she said well what would you like to do Uh, i said well i'd love to be a veterinarian but that's so far away from reality i said because i don't have i can't go to university because i don't have my french she said well would you like to get your french because there's a special french course at the uh at the united colleges it was called then
0: now the dean of the collegiate at the time lauren tomlinson happened to live across the back lane from Jim's grandfather. So he was able to squeeze Jim in for an interview.
2: Don't remember the interview at all. I mean, I remember going down, but I don't remember anything of it. But the next week, I can remember uh, waiting every day for the postman. And sure enough, in came a letter saying, you've been accepted, uh, you know, United College, grade 11, special French course. So when I finished uh, grade 11 at Silver Heights, where I failed, I think I I failed everything except for biology. Uh, and then I began at, at the, the collegiate, and I had to – now, I I realized I had to start working, and I did, and pay attention, and I did. And I liked the teachers because they were, you know, reasonable. They treated us like adults, and so I acted like an adult. I got uh, – I think it was 21 in math. could have been 18, but, you know, some, call it 21 in math in my grade 11 at uh, Silver Heights. I got ninety or 95 in maths at uh, United College and whereas I couldn't pass French in two years grade 9 French at Silver Heights uh, I passed grade 9 French in three months I passed grade 10 French in another
0: three months but it wasn't all about studying for Jim
2: we had a party and and uh, we invited uh, Dean Tomlinson to one of these parties and he arrived and you know we're referring to him as uh, Dean Tomlinson this and Dean Tomlinson. He said, he, he said, well call me Lauren. And we we said we can't call you Lauren like blah. So we nicknamed him Sam. And because our people were on the yearbook committee in 1963 or 64, if you if you look down all the faculty and staff at the very bottom, there's a black square and it says Sam. And that was just a little inside joke for about. Oh, I know, 10 or 12 of us. And he would have seen that and chuckled too.
0: After all these years, Jim remains indebted to the Collegiate, and in particular to Lauren Tomlinson. In 1970, Jim founded the University of Winnipeg Collegiate Alumni Association and served as its first president for five years. And more than three decades later, in 2004, He took on the role of chairing a fundraising initiative that raised over $5 million to support collegiate students in financial need. With that money, Jim established the Dean's Bursary Fund, in memory of Dean Lorne Tomlinson, which has helped dozens of students attend the collegiate.
2: I still believe bursaries are more important uh, for people because if I had had to depend on my demonstrated scholastic abilities and intelligence pre-collegiate acceptance, Forget it. I was a loser. I had, you know, zero and, and Tomlinson let me in either because of family ties or because he's, he thought he saw something there. And that's what he, he did for so many students. That's why he was so effective.
0: Now let's step back for a minute and check back in on Richard Scott. What he didn't mention in his introduction was that not only did he work as a judge and sit on the bench for many years, he was Manitoba's longest serving chief justice serving as the province's top judge for more than two decades, from 1990 to 2013. And during that time, he became one of the most well-respected justices in the country, known both for his intellect and his ability to build respect between judges and lawyers. But he says it was never his intention to become one of the top judges in Canada.
1: You know, I've had a, a nice wife as a, as a judge, but that was not an, ever really an ambition of mine until rumors started getting back to me in the spring of 1985 when the government had changed that there was some chance that I might get appointed to the bench and I sort of said, oh yeah, sure. Then I got the phone call.
0: Justice Scott presided over hundreds of cases, including several notable ones. But I asked him if he could pinpoint the case that left the biggest impression on him.
1: This may sound like a very strange answer, but the most notable case, by far, is one where I got reversed by the Supreme Court. And that's the Maky land claim. And we sat five, case was argued for two weeks, I wrote the judgment on behalf of the court, following what we thought was a, a pretty solid interpretation of the law that had earlier been set out by the Supreme Court.
0: This case that Justice Scott is talking about was a landmark case for the province of Manitoba. The Manitoba Métis Federation sought a declaration that the lands promised to the Métis in the Manitoba Act of 1870 had not been provided to them. After being dismissed by the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench, the case went to the Court of Appeal, presided over by Justice Scott. But Manitoba's top court also dismissed the case in 2010 and was brought to the Supreme Court of Canada. In 2013, The Supreme Court agreed with the Manitoba Métis Federation, declaring that the federal government had, in fact, failed to implement the land grant provision of the Manitoba Act.
1: I don't disagree with the decision. It was something that only the Supreme Court could do to change an interpretation that had been made some decades before in terms of the approach to those particular kind of land claims. So that's the case that sticks in in my mind, you know, far and away above all the others. We were part of the process. And this is a thought that sprung to mind during our our, our discussion this morning. You know, it's, it really was a different world. Now you can expect 82 year olds to think like that. So I'm sure you've heard this before, but we didn't have the internet this my, I'm looking at my iPad is a, a blessing and a curse. I know the constant complaints by seeing the senior lawyers that I hang out with or the, the gang I talk to in the office is that there's no, you know, you don't go home now, figuratively speaking at five 30 in the afternoon or six o'clock or whenever it is 24 seven. And that's, that's, I, I I think an adjustment we have to, to make, we need to provide some relief from that somehow. But secondly, just the pace of life, the pace of serving clients, whether you're a lawyer or an accountant or whatever, uh, is totally different than it was 65 years ago.
0: That was episode two of Hallowed Halls. On this episode, we heard from Richard Scott, former Chief Justice of Manitoba, and Jim McDonald, Vice President and Director at RBC Wealth Management in Winnipeg. We also heard clips from the University of Winnipeg archives, which you can find on their YouTube channel. The music you heard on this podcast is by Lee Rosevere. For links to all the songs featured on this episode, and to hear more from Lee Rosevere, check out the show notes. This podcast is produced by me, Isaac Werman, with the support from Dean Kevin Clace and Associate Dean Bonnie Talbot of the University of Winnipeg Collegiate. We acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 1 territory, ancestral lands of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji-Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples. And the homeland of the Metis Nation. We also acknowledge that our water is sourced from Shoal Lake 40 First Nation. Tune into the next episode to learn about the character of the collegiate in the 60s and 70s, including an appearance by Winnipeg's first woman mayor. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you've heard, please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. Talk to you next time.